You tuned in to the Kojo Namdi Show on WAMU 88.5. Welcome. It's been a year of empty lockers, hallways, and cafeterias. Beyond the Zoom classes and spotty Wi-Fi, many students have faced challenges affecting their studies, friendships, and mental health. But you don't have to hear it from me. We're talking to students directly today. Joining me now is Debbie Trong, WMU's education reporter. Debbie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Debbie, before we hear from our student guests, remind us, what's the latest with schools in our area? It's my understanding that most school systems have returned to some form of in-person classes. Yeah, that's correct, Kojo. Tens of thousands of students in the D.C. region are back in physical classrooms for at least partial in-person learning. The largest school systems in the region, including Montgomery County Public Schools in Maryland and the school systems in Fairfax, Loudoun and Arlington in Northern Virginia, are providing some form of in-person instruction in D.C., D.C. public schools, about 10,000 students have been receiving in-person instruction since early February. Um, at the same time, virtual learning is still very much a part of daily life. Um, you know, some students are only going back in person half time or for part of the day. And then, of course, there are students who have opted to stay virtual, um, even as pandemic restrictions ease. Just a few days ago, the CDC issued new guidelines for schools saying that three feet of distance between students is safe enough as opposed to the previous standard of six feet of distance. How did the CDC come to this new figure and what does this mean for schools? So the CDC based that guidance on studies that showed three feet of distance between students with masking and other precautions is enough to keep uh, classroom safe. The CDC released these updated guidelines late last week, and local school systems, to my knowledge, are still evaluating what that means for their individual plans. Um, that being said, this will likely mean that schools will be able to accommodate more students for in-person learning if they wish. Here in D.C., a handful of school communities have really pushed hard to make in-person learning available to more students, but space has been a, a huge issue. Um, and so this guidance is likely to be a relief to many of those families. Um, D.C. is expected to release updated guidance to schools later this week about um, reopening and is expected to um, in, take into account that new guidance from the CDC. As part of your reporting, you've talked with a lot of students and families over the past year. Earlier this month, you published a story about the responsibilities many local students have had to take on due to the pandemic. What did the students share with you? Sure. So, you know, in the D.C. region, um, as has been the case across the country, the pandemic has had a disproportionate impact on Black, Latino and low income families. You know, students obviously aren't exempt from that. And so I heard from you know many students who have had to take on additional obligations during the pandemic. They've had to excuse me, care for family members who gets, who've gotten sick with COVID-19. They've had to take on additional household responsibilities, run errands, cook meals because they're um, at home all day. And then I've also heard from many students who've had to help younger siblings with distance learning while they themselves are, are trying to learn from home as well. Joining us now is Christelle Miranda Lopez, a junior at the Bell Multicultural High School. Christelle, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Also with us is Sydney Lett Daffa, a senior at the Duke Ellington School of the Arts. Sydney, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. 
and Ashana Weston is a senior at the Cesar Chavez Public Charter School. Ashana, thank you for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity. Christelle, I'll start with you. You started the pandemic as a sophomore in high school, and now you're a junior. How has the past year been for you, and how have your responsibilities at home changed since you started remote learning? So, um, to start with, um, the pandemic was a little bit hard for me at the beginning. It was honestly a roller coaster. Um, being connected in the computer was pretty hard. And, you know, I'm a type of person who would be procrastinating a lot. I would not um, be doing my work a lot because of all of the stress that's happening, hearing the news, that many people are dying and the case are growing, which pretty scared me a lot. And that had made me just focus a lot in my work in the beginning. But later on, more in the middle of the pandemic, I was trying my best to come focus, to do my work. I had it, many support of my teachers who told me to focus a lot, that I got this, to stay strong, which actually helped me throughout um, the school year of in online. And I tried my best, which I put a lot of effort in most of my work. And I had seen that my grades in the beginning was pretty low. But there's an issue about the Wi-Fi for me or the connection, which makes me not have my grades go up. And most of my work are not turned in. And it's pretty hard to do stuff online. For many people, I know that they um, have low Wi-Fi for sure. It's way different from being in school. So that was one struggle I had and a responsibility at home. I had it to take care of my own sister when my mom and my sister had it to go work. And um, I had it to clean or cook something for the family when they come. So, so that, that, whole, was, that whole procrastination thing went out the window, huh? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I'm still working on it. <laughs> That's yeah. understandable. Ashana, you've also been doing remote learning for the past year. How has your school supported you and your classmates? So every day around this time, 12 to 1230, we have a break, 1135 to 1235, our lunch break. And we have 12, to, 12 o'clock to 1230, we have a time where we can have fun with our teachers. We play games, watch movies, and just enjoy time with the teachers because we can't do it in person so that's another support group we have and like we have our teachers that they'll email us if they feel stressed and I work and I have two ever internships that I do so that has put a lot of stress on me so they like to communicate with me to make sure that I'm doing all right you go ahead and also, I've been working with Mick for Challenge DC, so that's put a lot more stress on me because we've been trying to work on a youth budget so we can present it to the mayor of DC so we can implement ideas that we f- believe and feel that sh- the youth of DC should have a voice. Indeed, you have said that the silver lining of this pandemic is that you're able to do more extracurriculars and keep yourself busy. You just described yes. a few of those working with Mick for Challenge, etc. How busy is that keeping you? So every day I have my internship um, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. 
from 11 a.m. to 1. And I'm also in school from 10 to 2 o'clock. So I do school and my internship at the same time. And then I have my MIGVA Challenge DC on Wednesdays from 3 to 5. And I also do my internship from Wednesdays 3 to 5 too. So I've been in two meetings at once and I try to put attention and focus and implement work at any time. So I'd like to stay busy so I can keep myself preoccupied so I won't procrastinate. And you're also and I working also too. Work. I was about yeah, to say, tell work. us about that. <laughs> I work at Checkers by Highsville, Maryland. And I expressed to my boss that I can't work on Wednesdays because I have my meetings at 3 to 5. So I don't work on Wednesdays for them. But other, any other days I work. You got a long day. End, what time do you get home in the evening? It depends what time I get off work. So today I go into work at 4 and I get off at 9. So I'm usually get off at 9. I'll be in the house by like 10 o'clock. Pretty long days. Uh, Sydney, you go to an art school, which adds a unique set of challenges to school online. How was the adjustment for you? Yeah, so like what everybody else was saying, it definitely has been a struggle for me. Um, going to an art school, I'm in school from 9.30 to 5 p.m. And I do dance at my school. So we have to find a way to set up our camera so that our whole body is showing we have to make sure that we can be graded accordingly because we still are getting a grade for our arts classes as well as our academic classes. So I've definitely had to juggle, juggle new things within this pandemic um, at being at home and doing dance from my house, especially since my school has still stayed virtual um, up until now. So it definitely has been a struggle for me and just managing my time and being able to find a space to do what I get a grade for. Um, in the minutes or so we have left in this segment, Sydney, dancers kind of feed off of each other's energy. How does that work when you're doing it from home? Yeah, it's been very difficult. We, uh, especially since we have a senior showcase coming up uh, for my dance department, and we've had to choreograph and play music and teach steps virtu virtually. So it's been very difficult to keep myself and my peers motivated. But at the end of the day, we do have a grade for this. So that's really what keeps us going at the end of the day. <laughs> Got to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. I'm Kojo Namdi. It's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club.
Welcome back. We're talking with local high school students and Debbie Trong, WMU's education reporter, about the pandemic year and what it's meant for them. Students joining us are Christelle Miranda Lopez, a junior at the Bell Multicultural High School. Sydney Let Daffer is a senior at the Duke Ellington School of the Arts. And Ashana Weston is a senior at the Cesar Chavez Public Charter School. Here is Melissa in Alexandria, Virginia. Melissa, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Kojo. I am calling because I'm actually a preschool teacher, and we teach three- to five-year-olds. We closed last spring when the quarantine started, and we spent our summer trying to figure out a way that we could do school this fall. And we have been 100% outdoors since September, (laughs) and it's been quite an adventure. Um, We had to really pivot and do some things differently, but we've been able to be very successful um, with you know, our kids being able to play together and to be out of doors and to do, you know, um, the things that preschoolers should be able to do, which is socialize with one another and not sit at home in front of a screen. <laughs> what kind of what kind of what kind of outdoor facilities did you have, especially during the cold months of the year? Well, we um, are a cooperative preschool that's been in Alexandria since 1942, so we're on a fairly big piece of property. And we utilize, primarily we've utilized um, those Coleman canopy tents, you know, that don't have sides to them. Yep. So that would give us, you know, like starting out in September, it gave us shade when it was hot. Um, and, you know, if it's raining, drizzling, the only time we've had to cancel is high wind or if, and you know, the wind chill was in the 20s. And, but we really have been able to do, I, was, I would count on, you know, one hand the number of days that we that we had to cancel. Um, Very good. You know, parents have been able to dress, you know, they learned about how to dress appropriately. And, (laughs) you know, one of the big issues in general in education, and especially early childhood education, is building resilience in children. Mm -hmm. And um, these kids have a lot of confidence. They Things that they didn't think they'd be able to do, they've been able to do. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. Debbie Trong, did you cover any schools that have been operating outdoors? Yeah, so here in D.C., there's been a huge push from, you know, many teachers and parents for outdoor learning. Um, This has been something that's been talked about for months and months. And I think we're really starting to see traction, um, especially by, you know, D.C. public schools and some of the charters and bringing more outdoor programming for um, students who want in-person learning, but um, who may not yet be comfortable with going back inside a building. Sydney, how did you cope with the roller coaster of the past year and, the, and with the fact that your senior year would be forever marked by this moment? Yeah, so it's been very difficult for me to adjust and realize that I won't have a conventional senior year because of the pandemic. But it has given me some opportunity since I do go to art school. It's given me the opportunity to have a little bit of rest from what I had been doing because I was going to school from eight to five previously with outside rehearsals after. So it has given me a second to relax. It was definitely a transition for me. And, you know, not having a, maybe not having a prom or not having an in-person graduation, but it, it, 
I see definitely the bittersweet moments. It's also been a large part of that was applying to college and trying to balance virtual school and dance. So that was a large aspect of it. I didn't get the same things that I would have when I would have been going to school, like teachers being able to talk about college applications or how simple it may have been to get recommendations. But in general, it has been different, but helpful in some ways and also like bittersweet. Here now is Daniel in Williamstown, Massachusetts. Daniel, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yes, Kojo, thank you for having me. Um, I wanted to make a quick comment about the availability of, of online options to facilitate small group interactions that might not be available given COVID restrictions and, and physical restrictions in the classroom currently. I know I graduated as a senior at Wicomico High School in Salisbury, Maryland. Last year, we went virtual in March and then graduated virtually. Uh, then I came to school at Williams College up in Massachusetts, and we've had the opportunity to return to the classroom. But some of the, the small group interactions that I've grown so fond of over my, my time as uh, being educated uh, were unable to happen in the classroom, like I said, given the, the six-foot restrictions and the masks. Um, whereas on a, a breakout room or some sort of online uh, a platform, those are very achievable. So I, I don't know. I, I just think there, there is some value to online learning until we can be fully in the classroom traditionally as we were. Thank you for sharing that. Again, to you, Debbie Trong, have you talked with students who seem to feel that they're, because they could not get closer together in the classroom, that being in a virtual environment is not that bad? Sure. Yeah, I would say generally speaking there, uh, you know, virtual learning does work for some students. Um, there are some families who want more opportunities for high quality virtual instruction uh, moving forward. Also, you know, Going back in person obviously has its benefits. There are a lot of mental health benefits for students, socialization, things like that. But I've also heard a common concern is that, you know, many teachers are having to teach uh, a class in person as well as a class that's logging on virtually at the same time. And that divides the teacher's attention and students have less time to participate and interface with the teacher. And so, yeah, I think uh, moving forward, people will sort of keep in mind that there are more opportunities virtually to maybe engage in a smaller setting. And Christelle, you've said the pandemic led you to grow a lot closer to your family. Tell us about that. And is there anything you do with your family to build on that connection? Well, honestly, it have grown so much. Since at school, I would just, you know, talk to most of my friends and everything. And um, I... Now that I'm in the house, I see my sister more often. And in the beginning, it was I have seen my mom and dad here a lot. And um, they will be like, oh, you know what, Crystal, come with me, work with me. And then I will go sometimes with them. And they would teach me a lot of stuff of what they'd be doing, especially more with my dad. He works in electrician and he works in winter. During winter, he was working outside most of the time. And um, he sometimes would ask for help, one of us, me and my mom or my dad, I mean, me and my sister. And we would, like, help him out. And we got more closer with um, during during those times. Your and, mom. Like, your mom has mm-hmm. emphasized the importance of, of helping your community, especially in moments of crisis. Tell us about that and about how she leads by example. So my mom... Um, 
decided to help the community with bringing boxes of food, a lot of um, vegetables, meat, or f fruits. Um, she she was uh, worried about many people who didn't have no food since uh, they lost jobs or didn't have enough money. And my mom would have helped um, around more than um, like around 80, 80 to 100 families. Um, mm. In front of our building, she would um, bring a truck and share out the food and and uh, also would help people who had it, the COVID, would take them, deliver it to their houses and also take medicine, teas and all that so they could feel better. What's the biggest lesson you think you've learned from all of that and from your mom this past year? Well, my the biggest lesson is to help no matter what. You got to help. You got to help the community because it's a good cause that you're doing there. Um, always give a hand because it's it's something, someone who who really needs it at the moment. Sydney, what was the most challenging moment of the past year for you? Um, there's been a couple, but I'd say the largest things challenges for me have been my mental health and just staying focused and motivated on my goals and going to school, going to college next year and those adversities that may come with that, as well as there has been a lot of social unrest within our country in the last um, within this last year and just seeing that unfold has definitely been very challenging for me, especially since in this pandemic, it's been hard to actually go out and protest and you want to stay safe, but you also want to be able to do your part. So that's why I was a part of Mikva Challenge DC, which I was able to promote advocacy and work on DC and reflect on the things that we've been through and do that safe from home in a way that can still contribute and make real change. Ashana, what are your online classes like? Is technology ever an issue for you? Um, yes, technology is an issue for me because like me and my we have, I have two other sisters that do online school, so we all use the internet. So sometimes my Wi-Fi will go out when I'm trying to talk to my teachers or ask a question. So I'll have to put it in a chat, and they'll get to the answer later. So that stops from what I'm doing. And sometimes like, I, the Wi-Fi will kick me out of class. So that's a struggle, too, with online learning. But other than that, my teachers are really understanding, and they're very great when it comes to learning and work. Debbie, a year into this pandemic, how much closer are we to bridging the digital divide and ensuring all kids can do school from home? Yeah, I mean, I think in many cases we're closer. Um, you know, education advocates have said that the pandemic really forced schools to address the digital divide in ways they hadn't before or um, forced them to accelerate what was already going on in terms of getting devices into the hands of students. Um, you know, at the same time, I've still heard there are many concerns, um, especially around Internet. Um, it can be difficult for, you know, a family of, of, you know, five or six to have multiple children on Zoom calls at the same time. And that's a strain on the Internet. And obviously that affects the quality of, of the education they're getting. Let us take a short break. I'm Kojo Nandi.
Welcome back. We're talking with local high school students about their pandemic year and with WAMU education reporter Debbie Trong. Our students are Ashana Weston, a senior at the Cesar Chavez Public Charter School. Sydney Let Daffa is a senior at the Duke Ellington School of the Arts. And Christelle Miranda, Christelle Miranda Lopez is a junior at the Bell Multicultural High School. Let's go back to the phones. Here's Brittany in Rockville, Maryland. Brittany, go ahead. You're on the air. Hi, Kojo. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to share. I'm a student um, at... Excuse me. I'm a student at GW Law School, and I just wanted to share that um, I think the pandemic has increased access for people like me. I'm a mom. I have two small children, and it would have. My husband and I were just kind of praying, like, how are we going to finagle law school? And he's a teacher. Um, and the pandemic um, really, I think, forced the legal profession to modernize um, and to increase access for people like me um, who ordinarily, you know, might not uh, may have to make, you know, tough decisions about, you know, how they're going to attend um, law school uh, or any type of professional program while maintaining a family. So I think in that sense, um, it has pushed a profession that traditionally has um, just been really restrictive um, and it's ex- hopefully will expand more um, access. So that has been, for you and your family, the silver lining in the pandemic. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you very much for sharing that with us. Christelle, what does class participation look like when you're meeting on Zoom? Are you able to be collaborative? Does it feel more natural now? Well, now um, it's a little different uh, from school. Um, Online, it's... You just see a lot of bubbles of people, you know, initials. And many people don't participate. I think most of them are not really, like... Um, the teachers always be saying that most of the te- uh, most of the students are not participating because probably they're off their computer, they're not around it, and they're not focusing. And, they, and I have to... Some, I sometimes just put in my foot and just be like... Oh, so I would respond it. I would read it. I would this. I would this and that. So the teacher would not, like, you know, um, start um, <laughs> um, getting mad to the other students. And uh, sometimes I don't put on my mic because the background noises, there's a lot of going on sometimes, which is um, I don't want to get the students distracted with what I have in the background. Do you also not put on video? Um, well, I honestly don't have it on because of my connection. It sometimes cut off and cuts on and beyond. So it's just like I don't want the thing. I don't want the, the video to be more distractive in the classroom. You know, as I recall, the last Kojo in your community we did on site was at Bell Multicultural. Has your school given you any information on when in-person classes might resume? And are you comfortable with that idea? Well, they have, um, what what I have heard was that, suppose that we're going back in next year, I mean, this upcoming year, uh, and it's required to use vaccine, it's required that the students take the vaccine to enter. And I'm not, I'm not really like, not really sure about it because like imagine I go to school and somebody 
somebody um, contagious to me. And I got really careful because of my own family. My sister has diabetes and my, my dad too. And they have told us that it could be really, it, that could be really dangerous for them, which is, you know, I got to be beware about it. And, you know, I just wanted to stick on online for the moment. Got you. Debbie Trong, not all parents are comfortable yet with letting their kids return to school, and some teachers are also not comfortable with in-person instruction. How are schools accommodating both of these groups? Yeah, so, you know, I've heard from families, especially those who belong to communities that have been hit hardest by COVID-19, that they're still reluctant to send their children back for in-person learning. Um, you know, research shows that young children are less likely to suffer severe effects of the virus, but that risk isn't zero. And for older students, high schoolers, that risk increases. So some families just aren't ready to take that chance. I've also heard from Asian American students, especially in the D.C. suburbs, who are worried about returning to in-person learning and facing harassment or discrimination because of the rise in anti-Asian hate during the pandemic. Um, school systems are not at the moment requiring in-person classes and they're allowing these students to stay virtual. Um, also, school systems in Maryland and Virginia have hired classroom monitors to supervise students who are learning in person, but whose teacher who may have teachers that are still logging on virtually and, and teaching them um, remotely. Sydney, even though you've been in entirely online classes, you still have your senior showcase coming up, which entails in-person dance rehearsals. How has it been to see your friends again, and what else have you been keeping busy with outside of class? It has been great to see people again. It definitely it feels surreal that I haven't seen them in over a year, especially people that I have grown to be like a family with and see all day, every day. Um, <laughs> so seeing them again has been great. We are allowed to record our senior showcase at our school. So they did give us that um, privilege and we have to get tested before we come in and we only have two hours in the building for a week um, each day. So that's that's how um, we are executing that. Um, other than working on that, I through this pandemic, I was able to start my own business entitled Read Our Lips, and it spreads awareness on social justice issues while um, making cosmetic products for people of color. So that's another thing that I've really been able to hone in on during this pandemic. This question for all of you, I'll start with you, Ashana. How has it been keeping up friendships this past year? What's changed and how do you stay in touch? I feel like my friendships over the past year has grown like very much more closer because me and my friends, we talked every day on the phone and we don't live that far. I live the farthest out of all my friends because like I live an hour away on the train. So I rarely get to see them because my schedule with work and my internships conflicts with that. But I see them like every like two or three weeks. We'll hang out. My birthday's next month. So we get to hang out a lot that month. So right. the, the Go ahead. But the pandemic has made us like more closer and more I have more confided in them more lately. Same question to you, Christelle. How's it been keeping up friendships this past year? What's changed and how do you stay in touch? So um I would say that most of um my friends I 
I would just say that we're just a small group now. We're not actually big. We, I'm really touched with somebody, like one of my close friends. Um, I would say that uh, we we just, honestly, we don't see each other, but we would just, like, you know, text and be like, hey, what's up, just stuff like that. And um, uh, honestly, I would just, like, it, it kind of sucks not seeing them because it's not the same as before. We would just be messing around as at school and and through like you just you just be texting and be like oh what's up that's all so it just it's kind of different well right sydney Sid, as we said earlier you've got your senior showcase so you've been seeing at least a few of your friends but in general this during this past year um how have you been trying to stay in touch with your friends and keeping up friendships yeah so for me it's been Definitely more difficult, especially being a senior and having so many responsibilities, but also just people have different home lives and people are going through different things in terms of mental health and other stuff like that. So actually talking to people has been more difficult, especially when you're used to seeing people in person. I definitely check in on my friends and see how they're doing. And I'm close. I I know who I can talk to every day and who how certain relationships have changed during this pandemic but overall it has been difficult but i'm still there for the people that i was close with but it just the relationship that we had has changed due to not seeing each other here now is michael in washington dc michael we only have about a minute left but go ahead please oh michael is not there so i'm here go right ahead michael hi uh so my, my thoughts have kind of shifted over the past few weeks um, as vaccines have become available, uh, especially to teachers. And what really uh, prompted a shift last week was reading some research about how obviously people on the right, people of our former president's uh, followers, were underestimating the risk and the research that showed that people on the left in some ways were overestimating the risk. That combined with the CDC guidelines that are coming out have really shifted my opinion more towards the idea that in-person really needs to happen sooner rather than later and indefinitely in in the fall. Well, actually, Michael, you get to make the last comment. Debbie Trong, Christelle Miranda Lopez, Sydney Lett Daffer, and Ashana Weston, thank you all for joining us. Today's segment on how local high school students are coping with the pandemic was produced by Ines Renike. Coming up tomorrow, historian Lonnie Bunch was the founding director of the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture, and for almost two years, he's headed the entire Smithsonian, the world's largest museum system. We'll talk about how the Smithsonian has weathered the pandemic and what he envisions for the institution's future. It all starts tomorrow at noon. Until then, thank you for listening and Stay safe. I'm Kojo Nam. The Kojo Nambi Show is produced by Julie Deppenbrock, Sydney Graining, Lauren Marco, Kurt Gardmere, Richard Cunningham, and Ines Renike. Our managing producer is Ingalisa Schropsdorf. Our broadcast engineer is Rashad Young. Today's engineer is Kenny Pirot. For past shows and more content, visit kojoshow.org.
WAMU 88.5 is your listener-supported NPR news station in the greater Washington, D.C. region. You can support the Kojo Namdi Show and all the regional coverage you value by becoming a member today. Click the Donate button at WAMU.org and thanks.